And today, we're going to be looking at the kingdom that is unshakable, immovable. A kingdom that is so amazing, it should lead us to serve this king with reverence and awe. And this phrase that we're going to see about serving this king who has this kingdom and, and they were to serve him with reverence and all is not unfounded. It's not unmerited and it's not without a case being built up. You see, we're going to come to the end of chapter 12 in Hebrews, the next to last chapter. We've only got one more chapter in the book of Hebrews. I know some of you are like, glory, we've been in Hebrews for a while. But as we come to it, it's building this message that after everything that the book of Hebrews is trying to comprehend to communicate for the reader to comprehend about Jesus it is saying this it was what it means to live in light of that this is what it means to live in in the knowledge of him in the holiness of of what Christ has done what is it going to take to to see all that Jesus is and to serve Him, to respond to Him appropriately. And when I say up, respond to Him appropriately, we like the fact of having a nice Jesus, a buddy Christ, a God who is with us and will never ever judge us, would never try to hold us accountable. But that is a flimsy God. That is not a ruling king. That is an unrighteous judge. That is not a giver of grace. That is a spoiler of children. And we've seen that God is a God who disciplines those He loves and is ever faithful with them. We've seen that God is the one that we can fix our eyes on ahead and we can also run beside. We've seen that God was the one that that took frail and feeble people and was the hero in the midst of their life. Although they gave us a depiction of faith, it was God that was the hero all along. We've seen that Jesus is this merciful and yet extraordinary, never to be overthrown, never to be outdone high priest that goes and pays the ultimate price for his people and is able because of his infinite status as the one and only true son of God. And also as the one who fully became man to affiliate with mankind. He is able to pay a price that represents man and covers them for all eternity. We've seen that Jesus has a higher name than any other angelic being. He's not just one of angels. He is the divine one. The one that created them. He is the one who is greater of status and foundation than any other figure that we could ever celebrate in human history or even in biblical history, which is part of human history. But what does it mean to honor Him? What does it mean to reverence Him? What does it mean to know Him? What does it mean to enter into such a kingdom? Well, today we're going to be looking at that and seeing how Christ brings His followers. He he invites them and brings them and pays for that invitation. And we're going to be doing that and looking at how He does that and brings them into this unshakable kingdom. And, it, and by doing so, it is an act of His very grace, that unmerited gift towards us. It's an act of His gospel, His payment towards us. And it's an act of His glory. All of it bringing back to the fact that Jesus is far more excellent than we deserve. That relationship we have is, is far more than we could ever, should, should be, ever be bold enough to wish for. And yet He 
delightfully grants it. So as we do so, I want to invite you to stand with and honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. This is going to be on page 1069 if you're using one of our pew Bibles. It will be on the screen behind us. But we always make it available to get the Bible in people's hands. We want to get it in their hands and ultimately in their heart. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one as our gift to you today. If you don't have a, if you have a Bible that you can't really read or you can read but you can't really comprehend, feel free to take that one. We will find it very readable and accurate and faithful. So let's Honor the reading of this precious gift we call the Word of God. It is the words that He spoke, so they are perfect. It is the words that He preserved, so that we should treasure them. It is the words that lead us to Him. In verses 18 through 29 of the book of Hebrews chapter 12, the Word of the Lord says this, For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of the words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not bear what was commanded, that even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the very blood of Abel. See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they had not, did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression yet once more indicates the removal of what can be shaken. That is, created things. So that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we've read your word, we can sense the, the magnitude of what has been given to us, that this is a serious text that is telling us to beware and be warned of missing out on, on that which you have graciously given to your people. To, to be reminded that there is something that will be passing away, but there is something also that will forever remain. And that there is a treasure for all who will come to you in true faith. You welcome them into places they do not belong. But by your grace are fully invited. They are made new. And your holiness is revealed. So Lord, today as we spend time learning together 
I pray that You would display marvelous grace. That that the, the Gospel would be clearly proclaimed. And that above all, we would be worshipers recognizing Your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, when we get into the Word, we're always driven with this, this these burning questions. Or at least that should be a part of our desire when we open the Bible. That way we're not treating it flippantly. Uh, I went to college... Uh, and that's not me bragging. Uh, but I, I went to, to college and I had this Christian preaching class. And uh, I was terrified. Terrified. I had, I had been serving in ministry and I would be welcome, you know, available to somewhat teach in a small group of kids and teenagers. But sitting among my peers and knowing that I'm going to be teaching adults and, and, and that's going to be a part of my calling in life, I was absolutely terrified. And you know what was the most terrible part of a Christian preaching class? You're going to be graded on how well or how bad you do. Man, that is, that is gut-wrenching. And not only are you going to be graded by Bible professors who have their PhDs and, and know, you know, this is what the text means and what the Greek word is coming to say and this kind of thing, but you're being graded by your peers. Those that are in the same place as you are. But I had in my room this man, and his heart is in the right place, I understand. But it was one of those bless your heart moments that I kind of felt as I'm also grading and judging my peers, because I got to give them, be a part of the grade for them. But he said, ah, you know, here's what I do when I preach the Bible. I just flip it open. And whatever page it lands on and wherever my hand lands, that's what I'm preaching that day. And I've heard of people doing that. And, uh, to be warned, you know, they would look for three, even three different scriptures. You know, want to open the Bible up and land it on where jo- Judas went out and hung himself. Well, that's a little grim. It's like, well, maybe I'll try again. And he flipped through the Bible and the next one was, Go and do likewise. Whoa! No, don't do that. Don't do that. We're never to treat the Bible flippantly, in other words. We're meant to take it serious. It should have a burning question. And when we come here and we we spend time opening the Bible, the very first thing that should be on our heart is, let me hear what it says. God has made this available, accessible in, in translated language so that we might hear from Him. We need to take serious when it has been speaking spoken to us. We need to take that serious and see what it says. And not only when we come together as a church, as a fellowship, but when we're in our home. I know it's, I'm doing this Bible reading plan and it's very easy just to flick on the screen because I'm, it's on my device and, and I'm kind of reading through this chapter of Genesis and this chapter of Matthew and this chapter of, of Esther, I think is where we're at right now, and, and Acts. That's like, it's four chapters, two parts in the Old Testament, two parts in the New Testament each day. And it can be very easy to pick it up. All right, all right, make this a chore. Let me get through it and scroll through it. All right, I read it. I'm done. But we need to understand it's God speaking His perfect Word to us so we might know Him. Secondly, we need to see what it says and, and never take that for granted. I've been to places where the message was never founded on what the Bible says. But not only saying, hey, this is what the Bible says, but really seeking what it means. 
I've seen people that have taken, once again, the Scripture and they try to fit it in their little box and cram it in so they can cram it down someone's throat. And that's never to be the way that we treat the Bible. We never need to say, God, this is my idea. Let me find a verse that matches it. But to see what it means, say, this is what your Word says. Now let my life match that. That is the goal. To see what it means and and how it was given. And how it applies to us personally. And lastly, as we worship God and honor Him, what does it, what does it mean to trust Him in this moment? And will I even do it? That's a very big eye-opening question, especially when you first come to church or, or maybe you come to church not as expectantly. Is if I go here and I hear God speak something that is absolutely contrary to who I am or, or what I've been willing to do, Am I going to be hard-headed and just say, nah, nah, nah? Or am I open enough to say, I want to trust what God is doing, even if it challenges, even if it changes and chisels away something that was there? And here in this book of Hebrews, once again, the writer, as we've been looking at it, is, is him challenging and charging the readers to consider Jesus, to consider who it is you're actually following. Not to lessen Him, not to give Him a name or status or position in your life that is unworthy of who He is. That He is the One who is eternal, perfect, superior, and the giver of all grace. And He is the One that also disciplines us. But in disciplining us, He does not do it without purpose. It's a part of His love and kindness to us as a Father, but it is also a part of that fitting us and making us prepared for the glories of His one day kingdom that we will all get to be a part of if we have believed and trusted on Him. And so as we were looking at the Lord's discipline last week, we were looking at at God's fatherly love. But today we're going to look at what it means to, to seize this discipline. To seize it for its intended purposes. We talked about how the Lord is the one who creates disciples. It's Him that is the author and the pen and, and, that, and that writes our life in the beginning. It's Him that, that begins a good work and brings it to completion. That, that we're to see that the Lord is the one that does this. And is the Lord that corrects His disciples. It is the Lord that, that brings about these charges for them as God nurtures us. But we also see it's the God who challenges us to really consider what we have heard. To consider what we have seen. To consider what God has done. And so the first direction where we see Scripture directing us is the Lord challenging His disciples. We started with our reading today in verse 18 talking about this mountain that could not you've not come to this mountain that could be touched you may be wondering what is what is all that about well hebrews being what it is a book written to hebrew readers who had come to christ some of them in true faith some of them were on the peripheral wondering about true faith but they had a knowledge of their history and a few uh, i think it was last year when we were in the book of exodus we talked about the israelites approaching mount sinai And the glory and power of that moment. 
that they were to be consecrated. In other words, preparing themselves and setting themselves apart to not be living lives unworthy or unholy or despicable in any way for three days just to prepare for the Lord's arrival in His full presence in that way. And when He arrived, some of the rules were that only Moses could approach the mountain. And there was to be a boundary set around it. And the Levites were to guard that boundary. Don't let anybody do that. If they, if they start going somewhere in a way that they have been restricted, they are to die. Because God is that holy and you do not want Him to lash out at His people. It would be better that they be killed at the hands of another man than to have God's holiness strike them in a way that they approach Him inappropriately. And even if a, an animal, a livestock got out don't even keep that one around it was it was an awesome and powerful time god over a period of days had been walking with the israelites at that time and 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 showing his presence in pillar of fire and smoke at night and pillar of cloud by day and he was delivering his provision for them they were eating the manna from the ground and the and the quail that would blow in it was amazing But in this moment, it was utterly frightening to see this mountain of granite be just enveloped in smoke and fire and the sound of trumpets. And it was terrifying that they heard the audible voice of God. And they trembled. And even though at that mountain it gave us the the knowledge that God is holy, And God is just and God gives laws for righteousness because He is righteous. It was good that they arrive at that place so they could worship Him with reverence and awe. We on the other side, we on the other side do not have to be fearful of that place. That is not our mountain any longer. It is. It has its place where it revealed the, the nature of the glory of God. It revealed the law and the righteousness of God. But that is the mountain we no longer come to, that we no longer have to be fearful of. The mountain that we are invited to is, is Mount Zion, this place of perfection where Jesus has established grace. And so in looking back, verses 14 through 27 in this, this big swath of text, The Bible tells us that our challenge for disciples is first of all to look backwards. To see what was established in the fear of the law. Verses 15 through 21. The author is imploring the readers, do your best as a church to make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and defiling many. In other words, in your responsibility, in your privilege, never take for granted that just because someone's here, that they are made right with God. We have to do our best to communicate this clearly, to make sure that they don't fall short, to make sure they're not people that are just, as we've described, Sam's Club samplers of Jesus. That they want to experience the benefits and the good, but they don't want Jesus to be taken home and dwell with them. We need to do our best in our own homes to see that no one falls short of the grace of God. But we also, as we're doing it, we need to be people that are filled with joy, filled with the knowledge of glory, that we no longer have to live in such fear. 
And not letting bitterness spring up like, God, you're making me do this. We're not seeking to cause trouble or defiling many by leading them astray. Because I know there's many that try to teach about the grace of God in a way that says it just gives you license to do whatever you please. You're going to heaven anyways. You know how I know that? Because I was so suckered into receiving that for so much of my life. It was, you know, the teaching. When I was a teenager, don't smoke, drink, curse, or chew, and don't date girls that do. That was, that was, that was a big thing. It was about behavior modification. But if you do, Jesus done bailed you out of hell, son. You're good. So what do you think I did with that message? So I'm not supposed to do this, but it's, if I do, it's all right. Jesus has got me. Sit on! I was so suckered into that. I was a, 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 an abuser of grace. And that is never what we're to do. We're to see that, and I, I can't even imagine that my life that I thought was hidden and not causing any harm, what trouble it may have caused to others, how it may have hurt and defiled their walk with the Lord. And, and I pray that God would extend grace where I failed so miserably in my life. And I'm thankful that He does. But I should never lose that, use that as a, as a license to live a life of, of defilement. And it also says to make sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. The writer is, is imploring the church to the readers to, to make sure that, that, that you're not letting that be sown into your church. You're not letting that be perpetuated, that, that, that lifestyle that says, you know what? I want what I want, and I want it when I want it. And if I lose the privilege of everything that God has given me, so be it. I don't know if you know the story of Jacob and Esau. Some of you might, some of you may not. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Esau was born first. His name means red and hairy. That's kind of weird, but that's what his name meant. But Esau... He was one of these just go get them and whatever else happens, it's okay. If I lose something in the process, it doesn't matter. It's very impetuous. Married whoever he wanted to marry, even if it spited his family, even if they worshipped other gods. And one day, coming in from the field, he takes what his right as the firstborn child the firstborn child would have received pretty much everything as an inheritance. That was their birthright. And his brother, his younger by just a few seconds, because it said that when Esau came out, Jacob came out holding on to his heel. I mean, they were like born like within seconds. His brother Esau's cooking this big red stew. And Esau's like, I'm hungry. I want food now. And I don't know if Jacob is really trying to be sneaky or, or if he just impetuously says, well, sell me your birthright first. You know, something that he knew did not belong to him. 
But Esau says, okay, sure. What good is that to me if I'm dead? I want the stew. He sold out an entire inheritance and, and he was not coming from an unwealthy family. All for soup. He sold out the rights to be the one who was carrying on the name of his family to bear the image of, of his family name. He sold it for soup. And we may say, wow, what a careless doofus. What an ignorant fool. But at the same time, when I look at it, I'm like, wow, that is so me. That is so us. I have all of this benefit, all of this privilege, all this promise that is given to, to me as a child of God. And yet I'm so impetuous. Well, I'd rather have the soup. What are you, crazy boy? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't let that, that type of mentality stay. Don't let that be sown. That irreverence. And it says later, whenever he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. And even though he sought it with tears, because he didn't find an opportunity for repentance. That's an interesting way of putting it. He didn't find an opportunity for repentance in himself. He never gave himself over. He was regretting what he had missed out on. He was regretting that his brother had it. But he never really repented for what he had done. And that is not to be there. And the Bible is saying, look backwards, learn from that. Do not be that. But also understand that the place where God is inviting you to is not in the past. It's something for us to learn from, but it's not going back there. It's going to this new place. So look backwards so that you will understand what the fear of the law is, but look upwards that you will see what the grace of God is. That it is so much more. And that you are not trying to earn anything on your own righteousness, on your own merit, on your own skill, on your own ability, on your own likability. You are earning something Step back, rewind. You are gifted something based on what Jesus has done. And there's this invitation to look upwards to this place, this glorious place. The heavenly Jerusalem. This city of the living God. This place, and, and, and it's asking you to picture it as you look upward. A place where there are myriads of angels. You know what myriads of angels means? Can't count them. Just can't count them. You can't go like one, two, three, multiply by five, you know, that kind of thing. You're just not doing it. It's a place where the angelic beings, and these are not beings that are little babies in diapers with wings. The armies of the holy living God, clad in all their array, are there. Countless. You're looking up, not at a somber place where there is no laughter and everybody is serious all the time. You're looking up at a festive gathering. When you look up, see the party going on. See the enjoyment of that place. And that's good news. That actually should help us with what Mitch talks about. When we sing songs, it is so much better when we do it with smiles. That as we're looking upward, as we're singing these songs, we're like, yes, that promise is mine. I, I had that. It's been gifted to me by God. And, and this is what we're going to have in heaven. A festive gathering. 
To an assembly of the firstborn who names have been written in heaven. It means that place is where everyone is labeled as firstborn. Not just some, but everyone is given the inheritance. You don't have to worry about them getting more. It's the inheritance. Everybody is the firstborn. To the place where there's a judge in all holiness who is God of all. All, not just some, not just people that look and talk like us, but a God of all who will all stand before us. To the spirits of the righteous people that have been made perfect. And to Jesus, who is also God, who is judge, but Jesus is also mediator of a new covenant. A covenant that was costly. A covenant that was required by blood. A blood that was better than any offering, even by an offering as simple and as beautiful and as welcomed and received as that of Abel. This is the one we're looking upward to. I love Sundays. I love times of worship because they are an extraordinary reminder of the grace of the gospel. Because I will be very honest, there's so many times I'm impetuous. There's so many times I'm hard-headed. And I want to just depend on me. I just want to achieve what's good for me. I, I, I start looking around and sometimes I can get in the comparison game. And I could say, well, they're not better than me. And that's, that's sick, isn't it? Isn't that twisted? You ever found yourself there? But when we look up and we see, wow, this is what I'm invited to and I know I don't belong there. And this is what it take, took for me to have such an inheritance. This is what it took for me to be made so righteous. And then we come and we sing these songs that remind us of those. And we hear the word open that reminds us of that. It is a great reminder of what grace really means and not to take it for granted. You see, grace is one of the essential fuel components of worship. If we don't understand grace and the incredible, extraordinary gift and the way it came to us, we will sometimes think of, of worship as just something we're supposed to do. We'll think of serving God as something that's just expected. But when grace gets a hold of us, we're like, wow, I don't deserve squat. And yet this is what God has overwhelmingly given. It invites us in. It draws us. It fuels us to be a part of what God is doing and want to be there. You see, the Lord challenges the disciples with two visuals. This is what I did in yesteryear to bring about this plan that you have today and this plan that is made available in the future. Look back and see what I did so that you will learn what it means to have the fear of the Lord and learn from those heroes of the faith, but also learn from those who fell so mightily. But then look upward. Don't stay there looking in the past. Look upward to what's ahead and knowing there is something ahead that is greater. And we're challenged to do that so that we do not lose sight and fall back. It says the Lord also crowns his disciples. It's a shorter passage, verses 25 through 28. It says, see that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on the earth, 
Speaking of those that were with Moses, those that saw the very holy nature of God full on his display. And and I think some of us would want to go see that visually if we could and be there. But it says this is the warning that happened to them on earth. But if it's God from heaven that is giving us this from his throne room, from his mighty city, from this place with such enamored glory. If we're doing that, do not reject that. How silly would it be to reject that? Learn from those that did it before and don't repeat their path. It says that that same God at the moment, He, he shook, earth, shook earth at that time. And He's promised that at, one, at this future coming, that everything that is not of Him is going to be shaken and dissolved. It's going to be sifted out of its impurities. It's going to be reckoned with. But for the one who is with Him, the one who is with Him, they will see what is not shaken remain. They will receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You ever thought about that treasure that you hold in your hand, your heart? That privilege, that status that's stamped upon you? The book of Revelation says that we will reign with Him in heaven. It doesn't mean we'll have authority equal to Him. It doesn't mean we'll be over Him or can tell God what to do. But in eternity, our job is to be co-rulers in heaven. That this kingdom that we're receiving is not just like, oh, you get to receive entrance. No, you, you have a holy job, a, a holy inheritance. You are adopted into God's family. And you're going to receive this kingdom that is full of His glory. When I consider that, I just wonder, why? I mean, there's certain things I'm scared to hold because I'm like, I'm going to mess this up. I'm terrified. My first child was born, and, and all my children, one of the things I always did was I would go up and and I would take a picture of them just holding onto my pinky real quick. And I just thought that was the most awesome thing. But I'll be honest, I had held babies before, and you know, they were okay. But uh my own kids sitting there in front of me that first time, like, hey, you want to hold the child? And I'm like, I'm totally going to mess this up. I'm terrified. Why would God entrust me for such a privilege as this? And at the same time, God has not only trusted those lives in our hands to care for them, but God has said, my kingdom, you're going to receive that in your hands. You are receiving it now. It's an already and not yet promise. You already, if you're a child of God, you carry that title as as a co-heir. With me. You already have it. You're waiting the not yet part where I pull you into that place. I draw you into that place. Whether by the end of this life, the terminus of the end, or whether by His return, we're waiting that. But we have an already not yet status. And yet God in His love and His ultimate wisdom says, I entrust that to you. That's why we're entrusted with the mission. That's why we're entrusted with the church. 
That's why we're entrusted with leading generations who would lead generations who would lead generations to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. God says, I entrust that to you. You receive that. And not only do you receive that, as if that prize were not enough. In your lives today, if you're a follower of Christ, you receive the indwelling of God Himself. He says, I choose in your hands and your heart to place my life and never leave it. I entrust my image to be carried by you. How extraordinary is that? What a crown that God has given in His, in His wisdom to His disciples. And the Bible says, as you carry and bear that crown, look ahead. That you have an already not yet status. It's going to be there and it will not be moved. Worship God in light of that. If you had no reason to serve God yet with awe and reverence, base it on that. I can look and say there's many reasons we should worship God. But the writer, the writer of Hebrews moved by the Holy Spirit is by this, by looking ahead, And focusing on what God has done to make us right with Him, this is how we may serve God acceptably. This is how we may serve Him with reverence and awe. But to not miss out this last part, that as we do so, we're to understand that the Lord consumes His disciples. He only challenges them to to look and see what He's placed before them. And He not only crowns us with this extraordinary gift, but He consumes us. It says the the Lord is a consuming fire, a holy fire dwelling with us. That everywhere we go, the holiness of the Almighty is meant to be dwelling with us, walking with us. This phrase would not be too unfamiliar with the, the readers of Hebrews, the original audience. It may be a little unfamiliar with us. But it's talking about this same God. Who consumed and encompassed and enveloped that whole mountain. That we, that the people at that time were not welcome near. He says, I want you there. I want you to be in that consuming place. As scary as it might be, as shaping as it might be, as refining as it might be. I, the Lord, the living God, want you there. And I will walk with you. The same God that not only consumed that mountain, but would fill the holy temple where only the priests could come in. He says, I want you there. Once you had no business being there, but I want you there. I have made a way. The same God that with Elijah, whenever he was praying and the people were worshiping other idols, and and, and honestly, God had every right to destroy them from every way they had desecrated his name. It was God that consumed the offering that was laid before. Instead of pouring out His holiness and His wrath on on other people, He poured out on an innocent creature that was slaughtered and consumed it for heaven that it licked up not only the offering, but it, it, it squelched and turned the stones to dust and every gallon upon gallon of water was soaked up. This consuming fire. The one who the disciples... Peter, James, and John, when they're up on the mountain with the Lord and they saw His transfiguration and that His clothes became as dazzling white 
more than any launderer could make it. And what it's basically saying, it was eye-squinching white. You just couldn't couldn't barely look at it. Where it was only available to a select few in that moment, that same God is saying, I'm inviting you there. Even though it's a place where you felt like you may not have deserved, it's a place where you are invited. This is our God. This is our invitation. And as we're doing this, as we're drawn near to Him, let us recognize that we are meant to be shaped by Him. That in His walking with us, He is making us fit to serve Him with greater reverence, with greater awe, and with people who handle that unshakable kingdom well. But today, if you're here, I have one more thing. If you're here today, you may wonder about why you would ever be invited into such a kingdom. I can tell you it's all because of the gospel. It's because the same Jesus that is being made known was the one who was whole, is holy, is righteous in all that he is. And even though the offense of our sin is terrible and te- utterly offensive, rebellious against his name, he invites us in by first being the payment that was necessary to make us righteous. There was nothing you could ever do to earn that invitation, but Jesus was willing to do it for you and I. So that by trusting in what He extends, what He says, I can let you receive this based on your faith in Me, you may be made righteous. And your status in eternity is forever changed. You get to inherit that glorious place, that glorious life. But your life here today is also being shaped by a loving Father, refiner who was ever with us, consuming away that which is unholy and fitting us for that ultimate place one day. I pray that you know Him. I pray that you serve Him. I pray that you see His love for you and you respond with your love for Him. Let's pray. Lord God, today as um, we come to this conclusion, this, this, this moment of response, I pray that you would see fit to work in this place in, in the way that only you can. For those that need to be drawn closer to you and and need to make a decision as disciples for you, I pray that you would lead them to do that in a way that says yes and amen and let it be, Lord. And for those in this room that do not yet know you, I pray that you would even now still work on their hearts to draw them to a place where they respond to your grace and your goodness and your glory. I don't know what you want to do in this moment, Lord, but I pray that you would show us your hand and let us be obedient children that follow it. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, our musicians are going to come forward. And as I said, it's a time of response. And I don't know what that means where you are. Maybe your response is just spending some time in prayer and wrestling with God over things right where you are. And that's okay if that's where you are today and that's where you need to, to, to come close and be reconciled with the Lord. Please do that. Feel free. But there may be some in this room that you need someone, some counsel to walk with you through your next step. And perhaps it's, it's not even a next step. Maybe it be the first step. That you need to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. 
And we want to extend you that, that opportunity. And if you need help, we want, to, we want to help you. If the Lord is moving you to say, place your faith and trust in me. Turn from your old way of life and follow after me who has loved you utterly. Who has paid the price forever. I encourage you to follow after him. But if there are any other decisions that you need to make as a disciple to take that next step, whether it be scriptural baptism or uniting with this church and membership and you need to know what that looks like, you have questions, I'm, I'm here in the front to help you take that next step and show what that means. But the point of this time is for you to follow as, lot, as, the, as the Lord would lead you, whether it be right where you are in your seat or whether you need to talk to someone. I'm here should you need counsel.